holding pocket. It's time now for the chipping forecast, issued by Folding Pocket on behalf of Andrew Cotter, Eddie Pepperell and special guest Ian Carter. Hello there, a very warm welcome to this latest edition of the Chipping Forecast, which was supposed to be coming to you this week from the iconic uh, not-golfing venue of Wimbledon, um, because both our regular guest Ian Carter and I uh, take whatever commentary abilities we have and we lend them to this great sporting event. Um, Ian, though, is stuck in traffic on the A3. I'm in uh, the Airbnb, which I'm staying at for this week, um, which is it's fine. It's basic, fine. Um, and Eddie Pepperell is in uh, Pepperell Towers somewhere and getting ready to fly to Denmark. Is that right, Eddie? Uh, yeah, I'm flying there this afternoon. So uh, we're all a bit strapped for time in one way, shape or form, it would seem. We are. So we are going to record this on, uh, we are going to speak on one and a half times normal speaking speed. So um, uh, and then you can you can speed that up as you listen. Eddie, uh, Ian will arrive in about 15 minutes, we're told. So he'll be stressed, he'll be cross, uh, he will be having some really hot, angry takes on everything in golf because he's been sitting on the A3 for, I think, an hour and a half. Um, so we will just crack on and see how it goes, and then Ian will join and add some quality, some angry quality. Uh, just quickly, Eddie, um, uh, some reviews have come in, some nice stuff coming in, which is always nice to hear that's what nice stuff is. Uh, Alan Lucas says, I have no business listening to the podcast since I'm not a golfer, and rarely watch it. But it's so entertaining, I can't resist. So thank you, Alan. Uh, we are your guilty little secret. Uh, another one came in, has potential, but need to ditch Cotter. He's got a good voice. Well, I haven't done the because I've got laryngitis. He's got a good voice, but has unusual opinions and poor timing. Never seems to flow. You and Beef should ditch your radio pros and do your own podcast. It would be epic. There you go. Why don't you join up with Beef, Eddie? Well, poor timing and never seems to flow. He's either talking about my golf swing or yours, I think, there, Andrew. But yeah, it's just um, I just I just love reviews. Before Ian gets here, actually, I should maybe should say this. Ian gets so much feedback on his BBC Sport golf column, so he's thick-skinned and inured to such matters. Um, but after his latest column, which centred on the, the Love Tournament coming up this week, this came in from Philip. Ian Carter is yet another perfect example of how standards at the BBC have deteriorated over the last few years. They have both male and female people working in sport who are clearly not qualified to do the job. There are male and female people. Um, so it seems to be just the last few years for Philip. And Ian has been at the BBC for 30 years, so maybe just in the last few years he's really gone downhill. But here we go, this final one on feedback. Um, Eddie's feedback is actually going well. Mark Wood sent uh, send this message to me on Twitter. If you haven't recorded the next episode yet, I'd like it mentioned what a man Eddie is. A fine golfer, but an even better human, which will always be remembered. So. <laughs> well, Mark, I, I actually met Mark last week. So Mark, apparent, uh, I think at the Dunhill last year, I, I think I signed a glove for him. And he's been using a signed glove of mine well, for all this period of time. Anyway, he sent me a tweet a couple of weeks ago with a picture of the glove looking uh, very worse for wear. And he said, can I catch you at the Belfry? Can you sign another glove for me? So I, I did. I caught him after the round on the Saturday and he's now got another glove for six months with my name signed on it, which for he he can use. So um, you bought his favours then. 
uh, he yeah. bought his support. Oh, and message has just come in from Ian. Just parked, he says. No images. He's got no time for that nonsense. He's just parked, so he's he's running as fast as his little legs, and they are quite little, are carrying him uh, over to the broadcast centre. And so this is exciting. Ten minutes, I reckon, until Ian gets here. Um, the uh, the final. It wasn't a review, uh, but just a mention, which leads us into uh, the Belfry and the British Masters. Um, somebody messaged and said, "Loved following Eddie." And he asked about your caddy retrieving your three wood from a bush. Is that true? Oh, um, I think it is true. Well, it is true. On the eleventh hole on the Sunday, I uh, was getting very angry. I had a bad week last week. I had food poisoning. I was tired. I had a bad hand. I was. I mean, did well to make the cut, and then was just generally moody at the weekend with the way I was playing. And I hit my three wood on a path. Thought I'd ruined it, so I threw it in the bushes. And um, Jamie actually went and got it, which I didn't expect because I've done that before. And, he, and he's left it, but he he obviously thought this is a crisis. There's no way I know what would have gone through his mind because my only other alternative was then to hit my mini driver, which on average I'd been missing the fairway by fifty yards to the right with. So he he thought. We, I need to get that three wood back um, ready. So he did fair play to him. I want to get into the food boiling. Actually, do I, do I? Was that at the Belfry? We don't want to miss much there. You know, so we'll just, I don't know. I had a terrible Tuesday night, Wednesday, so it was touch and go. Actually, I, I pulled out the pro am, and I'm not sure. I, I wasn't sure I was going to play Thursday, but I. That's a shame because they had the same the same three Chinese gentlemen lined up for you at the <laughs> Belfry for you to say hello. I'm Thomas Bourne. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was a very eventful week. Um, so that was a case of my poor timing. Maybe the guy's right. I do have poor timing, and another moment of poor voice as well. So, oh, there's one more review actually that I noticed at the bottom here it says, "I love listening to the podcast. Uh, it's a lullaby for me to fall asleep to." So that's good. That from that's from Susan. Thank you, Susan. Um, again, poor timing there and digression. So in general, though, that's that, that's something to take from that though that you uh, you know you made the cut and you're grappling away. And I, I, trouble is, I'm. Yeah, I end up watching you on, on short tracker and things like that when you're not in coverage. I mean, you've dragged me back into to watching golf, but specifically watching Eddie Pepperell. It's like the Truman Show. It's just you, and I'm just following you. Like some oh, weird wow. Pepperell stalker. Mm, there are a few of them. Um, no, I, I think those short trackers are obviously a nice addition for people that do want to follow in, but... Uh... There was some. There would have been some interesting ones with me last week, but no, it was a good cut to make. I was not expecting it. I've got to be honest. The way I was feeling, the way I was feeling with my game as well, um, and uh, I, I, I made a great par on the Friday, which at the time I thought was to make the cut. In hindsight, would have made it by a couple, but uh, had a four iron in. I was close to Christy O'Connor's plate, I think, even further back, um, and hit a great four iron to about fifteen feet just to to seal the deal. So um, it was a good weekend to make the way the way all things panned out and. Uh, yeah. Can I ask about your driving? So if you're if you're taking a mini driver, now mini driver's what, thirteen degrees? It's like a sort of old two wood, isn't it? It's a bit less than that. I think it's about eleven actually, eleven and Is a half. It? Yeah. I mean that's not a mini driver, it's just like my driver. My driver's ten point five degrees, yeah. I think. So um yeah, so so use the mini driver for accuracy. If you're not if you're not hitting fairly with it, why don't you just go long with a driver? Just go long and wide. Um Well the thing is, I, I would definitely—I'd be even wider with the driver, and I wouldn't be that much longer. Um, it's just I'm really struggling with my swing at the moment off the tee, so I, I've got to work on it. Um, unfortunately, I am short and wild at the moment, so it's making the game very, very difficult. Once, once I get in play, I'm—I'm I'm playing well. I'm like a poor man's Jordan Spieth, but um, it's 
it's just getting me in play. But uh, you need Ian Carter just to get you in play. Just down there, he, he doesn't miss fairways. You're two hundred twenty yards off the tee, but he doesn't miss fairways. We can get all these insulting comments in before here, right? He hasn't given any updates to just parked. Um, it's gone radio silence since then. So I think we're going to be joined by him in about five minutes. But yeah, get it in, get it in play somehow. Mm. Yeah, Ches Rivi style. Ian Carter reminded me of Ches Rivi actually when we played with him. Just you know, plodder. Just perhaps it down the middle, Calvin Pete. Um, so winner. I mean, this is uh, the the strange thing about God. So Danny Hillier, um, New Zealander, was he? He's about twenty four years old. So his finish uh, last four holes: eagle, birdie, eagle, par, and then just sat there and waited. First first win on tour. So that's a thing of beauty, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's the way to do it. I I thought actually the Belfry is one of these courses, um, and we go to a few of them where it can be quite difficult to actually sustain a lead on the Sunday. Uh, I think of courses like Wentworth, Valderrama, invariably courses that are actually quite tight and tree-lined. Sometimes, well, I think more often than not, actually, you see the final group or the leaders just struggle to make things get to get things going on the Sunday and end up winning the tournament. And so quite often you do see people come from behind uh, in the in the fashion that maybe not quite in dramatic fashion that Dan did, but um, quite often in, a, in some sort of fashion where they come behind and win. And that was obviously some finish. I've got to say, I, I looked at the leaderboard at one point and didn't see his name. And then driving home, next thing you know, he's he's going to win. So out of nowhere. Yeah. And and uh, Ollie Wilson, second place, apart from the last to get into the Open for Ollie. So before this is, again, we talk about the rises and falls and forms of, of golf. You, you must always sort of maintain the faith. So before Germany a couple of weeks ago, Ollie Wilson had missed 10 cuts in 13 events. And he played beautifully all week at the Belfry and then rolled in that part in the last to make it into the Open finish second. So um, there is a lesson for us all, Eddie. Indeed. And Ollie is seemingly uh, extraordinary, his career, if you look at it. Um, he, he Unfortunately, last 10 years or so for him, he, he's had that feature where he's been off the planet for a good period of time and then comes back and performs brilliantly. And uh, it must frustrate the life out of him, but equally... Uh, it's a testament to his character, how strong it is to, to do what he does. Um, and I really like Ollie and he's, he's a, such a hard worker as well. So it's great to see him playing well. I think someone told me he's working with Robert Rock again or for maybe for the first time. So there's clearly some good work going on there and going back to Denmark this week where he won last year. So good timing for him. I got suggested a suggested post. Uh, honestly, I, on, on Instagram, on the gram, I just get suggested baseball clips. I don't know where this is coming from. I think maybe now because I've clicked on one, it's just relentless baseball clips. So uh, I end up watching them. But then there was a suggested post, and it was uh, Robert Rock's swing. Um, and what a what a swing! What a swing! Uh, Rocky has. Yeah, it was good to see him back out there last week coaching. You miss him, miss him on tour. Actually, he's uh, yeah, a wonderful player um, and and a good coach actually. And you maybe expect you'd kind of expect it, I suppose. I think Mark Rowe on the TV last week mentioned. Uh, in fact, talking of Soren Hansen. Who's been who started coaching a few players and uh, just mentioning him and Robert Rock and how guys who had very stylish and, and technically very correct golf swings. And it's no surprise that they are good coaches as well. It's um, it's a good thing to follow on from. Soren Hansen. Soren, whatever happened to Soren Hansen? Um, well, we know because you just told us. So uh, here's a, a test of uh, golfing history for you then. Um, so Gunnar Wiebe. Uh, who finished second alongside Ollie Wilson? Uh, who is he, the son of Eddie? I 
Well, I don't know the, the name, but it, I heard in the interview him refers to his dad winning the Seniors Open yeah. at Hoylake maybe a few years ago. So uh, that who is his dad, Andrew? Come on, well, enlighten Mar- me. Mark Weeby won a couple of times in the PGA Tour in the 80s. Uh, he was actually, he was co-leader with Tom Watson at the halfway stage in the 1987 US Open, uh, which was at uh, Olympic Club San Francisco. And I remember watching that. I was a huge Tom Watson fan. Um and I couldn't believe that this other guy, Scott Simpson, with his moustache and this sort of slightly funky swing, beats my favourite great Tom Watson. But anyway, my, uh, Mark Weeby was co-leader with Tom Watson on the halfway stage and then went on to shoot 77-79 at the weekend. Uh, but yes, he did. He he won the Senior Open in 2013. It wasn't Hoylake, it was Burkdale. And it finished on the Monday because Bernhard Langer, this is very un-Bernhard Langer, like and we'll talk about Bernhard Langer later on the pod because of his achievements at the weekend. He double bogeyed the last hole. Oh, I'm chuckling about that. Sorry, Bernhard. Double bogeyed the last hole. He went into a playoff and he couldn't get it finished in a couple of holes. Darkness fell. He said dramatically, "Darkness fell." And they came back the next day, played three more holes on the Monday, and uh, Mark Weeby won. So he won the, the Senior British Open. So there's your bit of. Um, Golfing history for the day. Hope you enjoy that, Eddie. Fascinating. That's woken me up. Excellent. Um, right. So, British Masters. The other thing I wanted to talk about the British Masters, and Ian will have his hot, angry take on this. Um, what did you think about the the atmosphere at the tenth uh, behind the tenth green? Did you enjoy that? Do you know what? It's one of those things. I didn't actually register it too much, and I think the reason is is because I was taking penalty drops, but I. It's one of those holes where, especially at the weekend, I went for it both times and missed it uh, right both times. I saw that and, some shot tracker. I saw that some shot. Yeah, <laughs> bloody shot tracker. Well, so on the Sunday, especially, I, I hit it in an awful spot at the back of a bunker and ended up kind of, well, I'm not going to have a whinge up. There wasn't much sand in the bunker. But anyway, I hit it in the hazard. So I was messing around just trying to scramble a bogey. And uh, so I just didn't register any anything. And that's quite common when you're so immersed in the hole to not actually take too much notice of what's going on around you having said that i was aware that it was pretty loud um but i'm not against that and i and i mean i think there were clearly some people maybe at certain times in the week who were who'd enjoyed too many beers no no uh, but uh i think my only criticism would be or my observation we we had a similar hole in sweden a few weeks ago and uh it was it, but that was wonderfully done. It was nestled in the trees. It was a DJ. It was a party kind of atmosphere. But I think the difference, obviously, is that, that that's Sweden and they're full of very classy people. And unfortunately, when we head north of Oxford, as we did, you you, you start to run the risk of, um, you know, well, um, well, maybe I'll stop there. You're going deep into controversial territory there. Anything north of Oxford, says Eddie Pepperell in his hot, angry take for the week. No, no, it was, uh, well, the thing is, I suppose if it's a, a feature that is not a regular feature, then it's something different and it's fine. And I was watching, um, watching the. Did you watch the Ashes where you were uh, out of the course? Or were you out of the course at that time? Um, yeah. And I just, I, I think, and this is a, one of those generalizations, but a general observation is that sporting events are becoming more raucous, wherever it may be, um, and whether it's the long, the long room, lords and heckling and jostling and uh, all sorts of. Strange behaviour. So I'm at Wimbledon this week. I haven't seen any examples of it yet at Wimbledon, but everywhere you go in sporting events since since COVID, really, since the sort of great release back into the open for everyone, it seems to be that uh, things are getting slightly more uh, boisterous. 
which I suppose has its place. You know, atmospheres are atmospheres are great, but I I think sometimes I just think I'm old and curmudgeonly, but um, I think it's okay in moderation. Yeah, I mean, I think I don't think it's an issue, I, uh, but. To your point, there might be some, there's, there seems to be, in, and I feel it in myself, some tension that needs to be unwound post-pandemic. And clearly there is still, there's still that type of behavior going on, um, not just at sporting events, I suppose, if you look at other events going on at the moment. But uh, it's, yeah, it, it, I, I'm not against it. I think it does add a nice dynamic to the, to the, to the tournament. And um, as long as it doesn't get out of hand, which I don't think it did. But here's Ian. Ian oh, he looks oh, this, is a, this is an exciting moment. There's a <laughs> flustered man. Look, he's got one ear for in. He's got... He's got strange shades on. He looks like Roy Orbison again. This is the oh, and these are my these are my new glasses that they tint when you're outside. I've just come running in from the car park. I know the car park, which by the way is an old disused golf course that if you were a member of, you'd have got eighty five grand, and then they can't do anything with the land, which is interesting. Just finding a golf link straight away. How's the pod going, guys? It's going. It's it's just taken a, a rapid downhill turn. No, I read out a few reviews. I read out the review that you got for uh, your latest column. I read out the review saying mm. that I have very poor timing. Um, I am so yeah. distracted by the video of you with your tinted glasses. It's quite funny. Anyway, you're in a, you look to be in a, a nice sound <laughs> booth. I'm in an echoey Airbnb, so I apologise for the sound in this. But um, we've just been talking about the British Masters and, and various things there within. And... Um, I think Piers Morgan was a member of that golf course across the road, was he? I think. Um, and Anton, Anton Deck, Deck as well. Anton Deck, both Ant and yeah. Deck. Um, and uh, yes. Yeah, Antor so, Deck. Antor Deck. And we've been talking about the British Masters. We've just, you've just arrived as we talk about atmosphere at sporting events. And what did you make of, uh, what did you make of the British Masters? So we're throwing it straight in there. And well, I, I really enjoyed the fact, and I wrote about this in, in my column on the BBC Sport website, which has, um, provoked so much love. I, I just really liked the fact that it was golf fans that were there and people were just really into their golf. And I have to say, you know, I can see what the European tour are doing and they've been doing it for, a, for a very long time, you know, trying to jazz things up and, you know, the, the DJ on the, on the time. Your attention. Oh, please. hang on. Oh, we're not it's there is about to be tested. The fire alarm's about to be tested. After the morning iPad, the fire alarm at Wimbledon is about to be tested. Procedures. It Thank does, you. It doesn't go on. Tremendous. Too long. Hang on a second. Ian, go on mute just for a. <laughs> hang on a second. Let's just hear the fire alarm at Wimbledon being tested every morning. There we go. We're watching in real time live as his, his glasses <laughs> become lighter and lighter. So. Yes. Uh, well, I would put my other ones on. Um, getting back to the point, you know, the DJ on the 10th. Your attention, please. Hang on. The fire alarm test is now complete. Yeah, we know that. It's complete now. All further fire alarms yeah. must now be treated as a real event. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Thank you. Yeah, that's right. that's that's Wimbledon. There we are. That is Wimbledon for you. Right, go on, Ian. I just I just thought like there's a DJ great on on the 10th, but I didn't see too many fans really sort of enveloping themselves in that. I thought they were more interested in how the players were, were taking on one of the great risk and reward holes in golf. And that's kind of what you turn up to go and see when you when you watch the golf. I'm just laughing because Eddie has just gone through Eddie's just gone through his risk and reward and how it went on the team. There's no there's no reward. There's absolutely zero reward in it. <laughs> it's, it's all risk and pain and and penalty yeah. drops. Um, remind me of the uh, remind me of the warden from the Shawshank Redemption. Actually, the uh, got the nice dark glasses on. Oh, I see. Oh, I see. Yeah. So the go the governor 
The governor, sorry, the governor, not the warden, the governor. So the governor, I looked up when the Shawshank Redemption was on the other day, I looked up the name of the actor who played the, 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 the governor in the Shawshank Redemption. And he was he was younger than I am now when he played that role. And that really? slightly depressed me, yeah. Anyway, Shawshank Redemption uh, digression. He's put on sensible glasses now. Well, here we are. So, Ian, let's... Uh, uh, I do want to talk about Ricky Fowler, obviously, because... Um, but um, I've got another comment from your last column. Actually, one of the one of the comments has you as being on the payroll of Liv. Um, yes. Then, but then another one here. A typical BBC lefty woke. That's what I've got. <laughs> <laughs> we did read out one of your other comments which um, said that the standards of the BBC have deteriorated greatly over the last few years. So it's just, um, it's just part of being a columnist and being out there, isn't it? You just have to let it wash over you. It does make me think, because I don't really put all these glasses are steaming up now. Um, it does... <laughs> it does, you know, make me think like people who actually put themselves out there and actually do express proper opinions. Whereas, like, I'm just trying to say kind of how it is with golf and, and it's only golf and, and they get that irate on, on something like that. When, you know, if you're a, like a, a Piers Morgan or someone like that who really sticks their neck on, on the block, what, you know, Jeremy Clarkson, what, what do they get? People get very irate, don't they? I mean, come on. Yeah, I know, I know, but for some people, it is their their job is to be controversial and to have those hot takes. I, I just uh, I try and avoid having any takes at all and uh, just steering a serene passage through through life. Let's go on to. Um, we don't often do this, but we are just going to look at before we look because we're heading seamlessly towards this chat. Looking ahead to an interesting week on live where. It'll be the contrast. I wonder how it will compare the live crowd with what we saw at the Belfry for the British Masters. You're seeing the the, the old world world and the new sort of um, in consecutive weeks in golf. This for me is the is one of the really interesting things because for the first time ever we've got genuine competition between separate tours for the interests of the golf fan, and that's that to me is fascinating how how the tours approach that who succeeds in in bringing in more interest but also i think the regulatory bodies will be looking at this and you know the, this merger on both sides of the atlantic has to get by the department of justice and the cma over here and and it has to to get approval for it to happen and they're going to look at it from the fans' perspective because that's what their job is. And they might turn around and say, well, actually, having two different bodies putting on similar level of golf tournaments, which, okay, is arguable, but could be seen that way, is a good thing for the fan because it will drive down prices, it will drive down, it will drive up efficiencies, it will drive up attractions and, and that kind of thing. And that's how they will potentially view it so i just think it's 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 really really interesting and you know uh, and and they they will want to prevent a situation whereby the supermarkets collude on petrol prices on golf prices you know so i think it's i just think it's absolutely fascinating and i'm not i'm you know i'm just not qualified to know how it's going to turn out but if you just look at it from that point of view we've never had this situation before where two men's tours in the same territory, only a handful of miles apart, are putting on separate events and saying, come and watch us and don't watch them. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, um, I, I suspect you'll get a slightly different crowd show up at Centurion for Live. I think with everything else that comes with a Live event, particularly thinking about the 
the party vibes and the and the bands that they have playing or the the performances that they have on an evening you know it's a slightly different experience for the fan and i and i think that that's it's succeeding probably to some degree on that metric you know i suspect the fan experience at live events is actually pretty good um i think there's the other side of that where uh maybe they're not getting the interest from other people because of the lack of bloody blast storylines and organic kind of uh stories that we would see in golf but uh, certainly my opinion with it but you know it'll be at the end of the day, if there's if there's enough demand out there for people, then what's the problem with up in the supply? Um, well, it'll be fascinating to watch. So I, I do want to... What do you talk- think, Andrew? I have... I just sail a serene passage with no opinions at all whatsoever. I do think... I, I actually tuned in briefly at Valderrama to see how many people were watching on YouTube, and it was 4,000 worldwide on YouTube watching that. But actually, the crowd there in Spain looked reasonably... Not large, but it looked... You know, there were decent numbers there. Yeah, so Valderrama, Chase Kepka finished forty-seventh out of forty-eight, and he won one hundred and twenty-two thousand five hundred dollars. Laurie Cantor, nineteenth out of forty-eight, two hundred fifty thousand dollars. It's, it's, it's incredible! It's incredible. So, both those players are playing in final qualifying today. We're recording on a Tuesday. Final qualifying for the Open, uh, which is at four courses. Dundonald. Um, it's Dundonald, it's West Lanks, it's Deal, uh, and it's somewhere else I'll, I'll remember in a minute. But anyway, so uh, Dundonald, Aaron Rye's playing there. So this final qualifying is still great to go and watch. It's not quite the same as it was 20 years ago for the Open, but there are some really, really good players. And a few of the live players are playing because they can't get in any other way if they're not otherwise qualified for the Open because they can't go and play in Denmark where there are three places or Scottish Open where there are three or four places. So Aaron Rye is playing Dundonald. Michael Block is playing at Dundonald mm. in Ayrshire. Um, so it, it allows us to tell the fact that Michael Block, 15th in the recent PGA and sensation, uh, apparently he uh, he played with Eddie, or Eddie played with him, at Bell Reeve in 2018. Do you remember that at all, Eddie? I do, actually. Yeah, I didn't. When he was doing well at the PGA, it didn't cross my mind. But then someone reminded me and I looked it up and I went and looked it up and it was true. He was a very nice guy. He was complimentary about me. He didn't he didn't have his best two days uh at Bell Reef and I think we were joined by Ryan Fox as well. But um he could do well at Dundonald. I wouldn't be surprised with the game he's got, obviously being, you know, a fantastic wedge player, top ten in the world arguably. Um he could he could he could be good around a Lynx course. He shot uh, in Bell Reeve 2018 in USPG. He shot 75-75 to finish 150th out of 135. He tied with Brian Smock and was one ahead of Johan Koch. I'm not making that up. <laughs> no sign of Kid Rock. Kid Rock does play golf. He played with he plays with Jack Nicholas. Kid Rock plays golf with Jack Nicholas um, occasionally. Had a hole in one with him at the Bears Club. So Block is playing at Dundonald. He's playing alongside. Uh, Ratchin on TK Chanta Nanawat. He was a 16-year-old Thai golfer. He was a bit of a phenom, a bit of a sensation. Made the semi-finals of last week's amateur, but he, he played a live event, I think. He did. He played the first one at um, at Centurion, and they made a massive fuss over him. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so he, but he obviously played that as an amateur, so he wouldn't have been able to get the, the big bucks, would he? So, no, he wouldn't. Uh, uh, deal this uh, today. John Goff is playing there. He played well for a couple of rounds, very well for a couple of rounds at the Belfry. He looks exactly like Bob Hoskins. Uh, he is playing there, as well as Brandon <laughs> Grace. Fourth call, that's where they're playing the other one. Jazz Janowatananand is there. Matthew Southgate is there. 
get him on the air. Uh, Laurie Cantor is playing there as well. At least $250,000 from last week. And at West Lanks, Garcia's playing. Sergio's playing at West Lanks. Victor Dubuiso is playing at West Lanks. Graham McDowell's also there talking about this kid. This kid. Uh, and Matt Wallace. I wonder if they're paid together. Um, well, exactly. That'll be nice. And Matt Wallace is playing. So they're high-quality names. But you're doing the other route, aren't you? You're trying to, if you're, well, you're trying to get in just as a byproduct of playing well in Denmark and Scottish Open. Yeah, exactly. Which is actually how I've got in a couple of Opens in the past. In fact, Carnoustie, when I did well, was uh, via Scotland the week before and um, same in 2015. So I think I would, you know, with it being the Tuesday of a tournament as well, it, it doesn't work very well in the scheduling for me. So uh, I'd rather go about it the, the way I'm doing it. Uh, um, Eddie's been talking about his his mini driver wars now as as well. We're not going to harp on about that because I don't want that to get in his head. I think he's a, there's no reason why he, he won't go to Denmark and just hit every fairway. But um, have you tried a mini driver, Ian, at all? I, ha- I don't I don't think I have on purpose, but I did have a I did have a ping one, one one time that felt like it was a little bit shorter and I really liked it. And then someone said, oh, that's too short and put another driver in my hand and so i went with that and that was that that's not actually so so that that would be a mini driver in the sense that the shaft's been cut down and that that just to be clear that's not what the mini driver is um that taylor made do they do a small headed one but what you brought up there is interesting because at one point last week jamie my caddy questioned whether it's actually worth me getting a driver made up at five iron length and seeing what happened it got that bad that we and, and i seem to swing my irons so much better than i do with my woods and and the only obvious difference is the length of shaft. So if you see me hitting a driver with a five iron length shaft <laughs> at any point this year, then the, uh, yeah. Is it an option on the table? Well, anything, everything's on the table, really. How would the conversation go when you go into the van? Guys, I've got an idea. <laughs> I don't even know if it's possible. I don't know what sort of shaft you'd have to put in or how you'd do it, but uh, it might be worth it for a bit of fun. Eddie, it just guys make it happen. I'm a pretty big deal. Yeah, flips his driver down onto the floor for them to pick up, and then just walks out. That's how that's how Thomas Bjorn rolls. So uh, Ricky Fowler is back, comprehensively back. I mean, he's been back for a while, winning the Rocket Mortgage. <laughs> it's a terrible name for a mortgage company, the Rocket Mortgage. Uh, but anyway, there we are, Rocket Mortgage. Pretty apt, pretty apt right now. Very apt. I I am playing. Happily in the fixed rate for two-year mortgage classic. Um, so Ricky Fowler, he's been playing so well for a while, knocked his approach to three feet in the final hole of regulation, rolled it in, and then uh, hit it to 11 feet in the first hole of the playoff. Adam Hadwin, Colin Morikawa, rolled it in Ricky's back. So again, he was 185th in the world last September, Ricky Fowler. It's that perseverance. We talked about it with Ollie Wilson. We talked about it with so many others. Um, yeah, I, I, I just think it's... Uh, a lot, he, and it also, he is one of the good guys, as they say. He's he's good company. He's a, he's a seems a decent person. Um, so I'm quite pleased. People love watching him as well. Yeah, he's seemingly a very popular uh, guy and player, isn't he? Um, and it's easy to see why. I've I've always loved his game. I remember playing a few events with him in 2014 and 2015, particularly the Scottish Open. I remember. I think it was the one he won actually at Gullen. And um, his golf swing was just, I loved his golf swing back then. And uh, he's, he's a wonderful player. And as you say, when you've got that much ability and talent, yeah, you can go through a period, a rough period as he's gone through, but you do seemingly always find a way out. And I guess his move back to Butch has, has made the big difference here technically for him. And he's swinging the club beautifully. 
Is it technical or mental, Eddie, that that Butch Harmon brings? Because he 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 does kind of. I mean, he's great for the pre-round team talk as well, isn't he? As well, as well as obviously knowing the golf swing inside out and knowing what works best for whichever player. But he, he, he also instills something in a player that I think has really helped Ricky Fowler kind of turn his mentality around and to give him that confidence to go on and become a winner again. Yeah, look, this, obviously there's some psychology to it, but I think if you look at the swing on camera, you can see there's some clear and obvious differences that are making the game that much easier for him to compete at the high level he's now at. And I think the thing with confidence is people, it, it can be the first thing to go for a player and the last thing to come back. But I think that's often the way it works because you need your technique to be put in place first and then you can build some trust and confidence on top of that. But it's easy just to say to someone, go and be confident. But if they're hitting everywhere, it's impossible to be confident, especially at that level. So technically he's back in a much better place. And I think his confidence has been slowly building now and and he's going to keep going on that on that run. Excellent. Uh, continuing our review of last week, I just want to give a quick mention to the US Seniors Open because uh, Bernhard Langer, the aforementioned, because of his playoff with Mark Wiebe, uh, Ian missed that chat, he, very fortunately for him, uh, he won the US Open again. And at 65, he's extraordinary, Bernhard Langer, absolutely extraordinary. So he, he won the uh, the US Open. He's now won 73 million senior majors. I didn't have the figure there, so exaggerated slightly. Good quote from Bernhard Langer, though, which is, again, slightly depressing. When I was 50, I didn't know how bad the body falls apart once you turn 60. So this wasn't his winning quote, uh, you know, the prize giving, because that really would be strange. But it was after the third round, because he was trying to hold off Jerry Kelly and Steve Stricker, um, Wisconsin natives. Uh, When I was 50, I didn't know how bad the body falls apart once you turn 60. Thanks for that, Bernhard. But um, a few a few dealings with Bernhard, and he is such a class act um, off the course. He is just the best person. Uh, I mean, he's just he's just got. I don't want to talk about old school class. He knows how to how to do things, and I just think his um, his career. When you talk about longevity and the problems he had with his yips, etc., and all his form coming and going, his career is just a a, a model of perseverance and professionalism. It's incredible. It, it it really is. And the longevity of it, 65 years of age, winning a senior major. I mean, I I sometimes feel quite reluctant to delve into senior golf because I, I, I think that it can take away from what's happening in the modern game. And it's, you know, those guys have, have had their day. But I think when you look at Langer and what he's achieved, then that is just a remarkable story. It's a remarkable story for golf. I've just got one caveat, though, and, you know, we laud him for beating the yips and all of that, but I, I really don't like his putting, um, the way no. that how close his top hand is to his sternum. And I, I genuinely, I, I, I think the onus is on the player to prove that they are not anchoring and, and there's nothing there that proves he's not anchoring. If I can put it that way, it's uh, what it is nestling. It's nestling very close to the the Langer chest, isn't it? It's uh, I die. Oh, well, yeah, I don't know how you would you would maybe have a referee and every old just coming in and slipping his hand between the top of the putter and Langer chest and saying we're good to go, Bernhard. Um, but uh, yeah, you're right. It's a, it's a <laughs> pendulum, isn't it? That's the whole. It's... That's the whole. I, I would love to see any sort of anchoring and pendulum. Um, not anchor anchoring is removed, but that sort of pendulum effect because. 
the the great skill about putting is avoiding the sort of um, that folding left hand. If you're right, you know what it said. That's uh, Eddie. Eddie's raising his eyebrows as if he has a point to make. You, I saw that putt that Nicholas Norgard missed on the ninth at the Belfry. I don't know if you saw that. It was oh yeah, maybe a foot. And I was watching that, and I've got to be honest. As soon as I saw that, I I winced, and and it's things like that that do stick with a player. So it'll be really interesting to see where he goes from here because that was a nasty putt. Yeah, um, but well done to Bernhard for winning with his not quite anchoring, but almost anchoring putting stroke. I mentioned final qualifying taking place today for the Open. Regional qualifying uh, has already taken place, obviously. Obs. Um, some astonishing numbers in regional qualifying. I mean, just a, a you know, so to get into regional qualifying, to enter the Open, to say you're, you've entered the Open, you just have to be off uh, 0.4, so scratch or, or lower, and pay £150. And, and but there were some scratch golfers who there was a ninety nine at one of the courses. There were any number of scores in the nineties, the eighties, and these were six thousand seven hundred yard courses they were playing. And um, big shake of the head, Eddie. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Is it just so people can say, "Oh, I've played in the Open"? I mean, oh, well played. The handicapping system is absolutely way, way off and wildly wrong. Now I don't know what. I mean, obviously, I'm not that exposed to it because I, I'm a pro but uh, it's just ridiculous I played with some amateurs who say they're off this and they're and they they really not even close to being a scratch or plus golfer so you guys might know a bit more about it than me but I think it's just and, and the one thing I would say is as a former amateur obviously when I was off a low handicap and getting into big tournaments was you were required to be off say plus two plus three when at a time when the handicapping system was much fairer um, to think about the qualifying criteria now, I think you could have any Tom, Dick and Harry playing in the Lytham Trophy or the British Amateur, and it's just completely wrong and unfair. Yeah, the, the handicapping system has passed me by the change in it because I stopped playing before it changed and I've just sort of started playing again. So, But but as far as I understand it and I've studied it now, it's much easier to come down because some of your bad scores are just neglected and it's your good scores count for so much more. And it's easier to come down much easier to come down than it used to be. You just have to wait for a medal and then you'd look at the forecasting. Oh, I was blowing 40 miles an hour, but that was my only chance to put in a score. But uh, but now you can you can do it anywhere. So I think handicaps are a little bit... We used to have Americans come over and you're caddying for them and um, and you'd say, what's your, what's your handicap? And say, I'm, I'm a four. And they would proceed to shoot 130. Um, again, exaggerating for comic effect. But it, but the, the American system is kind of the system we have now, this, this worldwide system, which is much more generous um, towards uh, improving your handicap. I think it can be used both ways. I think there are some players who see it as a vehicle to really uh, sort of bo- boost their handicap in terms of it going up so that they're more competitive. And and there are others who find ways of of just coming down, re- I mean, dramatically. I remember we I played a club knockout foursomes match a couple of years ago against a, obviously another pair and one of the guys he was off about 5 and i was playing with my my partner i was off 8 and the my partner's off 16 and they were you know probably accurate uh handicaps and we absolutely cuffed these guys and yeah. you know went through to the quarterfinals whatever it was we did we you know and it was we didn't have to do anything special Anyway, I turned up for the club championship the other week, the aforementioned, and I was looking at the start sheet. One of these fellas who was, as I say, off four or five at the time that we thrashed them, and he's now off plus something or other. Yeah. And I'm like, there's no way. Yeah. There is no way. And, you know, I'm all for, I'm all for people, you know, 
setting their stall out. And I mean, it just crossed my mind, actually, Andrew, that maybe one of us should set our stall out to get to point four for next year mm-hmm. and then, you know, actually get the chipping forecast, trying to qualify for the open. What do you think? I think, uh, I think. Even with our current handicapping system, you could do Although it. You I, could I have do a friend, I have a friend who played off scratch, and now he plays off plus five, um, and he, be, he is playing off plus five because he's capable of very, very low rounds, and then he'll have some shocking rounds. Uh, even little things like you know, you can't have triple bogeys, quadruple bogeys anymore. They used to kill my rounds, you know. I just that's where I'd walk in, that's where I'd stop running in the park run, that's where I would just sort of nr. But now you know you can't have these big, big scores. Just carry on playing, put it down for a double bogey, it's fine. Uh, I, I don't know. Again, I was like, I liked golf when it was painful. Now it's just uh, just far too generous and friendly. Listen, we've got to move on because I've got to get in. I've, I've still got to wrestle with the A3, Ian, on the way into... I, I tell you, it's terrible. It's, if you are coming down the A3, in all seriousness, it's shut at New Malden. You've got big problems. I'm going to go in through Kingston. Uh, I'm going to go past Hampton Court. We used to play golf at Hampton Court Palace Golf Club, didn't we? Um we did. we did indeed. Great days, great days. Great days, they said nostalgically. Um, just quickly on the on the last thing on the regional qualifying, uh, best scoring was at County Louth uh, the, um, in Ireland. The Paul Dunn, Paul Dunn just missed out there. Won the British Masters in 2017. Shot 61 in the final round. Had a hand operation in 2019. A few issues. Uh, but Paul Dunn, imagine leading the Open after three rounds, 2015. Yeah. As an amateur. As an amateur. Uh, yeah, so again, golf come and go i hope he he will stick with it and he may return as ricky fowler ollie wilson whoever it might be just wait for the peak after the trough oh and chase kepka shot 73 to miss by a couple at county Louth, who then won 122,000 for finished second last at valderrama so um there we go um u.s women's open is this week ian pebble beach big to have it there yeah, Pebble Beach, first time there. Uh, already seeing seeing pictures of the the players there. Did you see uh, Rose Zhang hitting a tee shot in the practice round into the little par three seventh, lovely hole downhill, and she hit it, and the 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 ball uh, landed six feet from the hole. It's all over social media, and the tee popped up and flipped into her back pocket. That only happens to special people. Uh, I didn't see that. that is Honestly, that it's amazing. It's great footage big on the socials. Yeah, but a serious, serious point. Um, you know, I think we had Baltus roll a couple of weeks ago. Really enjoyed that, that women's PGA. Now the, the US Open at Pebble Beach. It's great. It's, it's really fantastic. And, and for me, it's the, it's, it's the big golf of the week, undoubtedly to see those players, the way they're playing at the moment with so many stars around on a, a golf course like Pebble Beach. It might not actually be the greatest golf course, but it's, it's the greatest looking golf course. I, you know, I just, the images will just be fantastic. Yeah. I think the biggest golf of the week is, is seeing Eddie with a new six degree driver. Yalmo Sandal in length as well, just absolutely hammering it, the shambles style in Denmark. Yeah, I'll try the glasses. I'll try anything. Yeah. Uh, actually, uh, I, one thing I noticed, the story ahead of the US Women's Open, Amy Olsen came through 36 holes of qualifying to get there. She's seven months pregnant. Yeah, and I saw there's footage of her driving off on the 18th, actually, in a practice round as well. It's brilliant. You've been all over the brilliant. socials. Well, she uh, has uh, had some advice from Cory Kuhn, who played in the 2001 US Open, well, actually, beyond her due date, which seems risky, she had contractions during the tournament. Nine days later, she gave birth, and her daughter, Rachel Kuhn, is now a very, very talented golfer playing at Wake Forest University. So, 
There we are. That's extraordinary. And playing sort of beyond your due date is uh, that's that's commitment to the game. Um, so made in Himmerland in Denmark with uh, Eddie et al. Um, a John Deere Classic on the PGA Tour, which is not not a great field. Um, win a tractor or a mower, um, and then someone will win and then decide not to take up their place in the Open. Uh, and that's it. We didn't even get into things like Eamon Lynch's article about Patrick Cantley. Well, Patrick Cantley seems to have been staging a coup uh, or plotting. It's always the quiet ones you've got to look out for, the uh, whispering discord. The Cantley group. But there were, there were a few players chimed in on that. Adam Scott did. Yeah, he? they did. They did. The players, well. they don't, players don't take kindly to criticism of players. Um, Eddie's, Eddie's sensitive. Yeah, no, I know. I read the article. I hadn't read it until you sent it across yesterday, and I, I didn't. I didn't really think it was a particularly good article. I don't know why Eamon would have done written that article, frankly. But uh, you know, say, strange. Do you know times. why he wrote it? Because he was going to write something nice, and then he was stuck on the A3 trying to get into his office. And it was shut, <laughs> and he couldn't get in. So I'm going to have to go uh, now because I've got to get into Wimbledon, and it seems like it's going to be horrific. So what are you commentating on today, Ian? You know. I'm doing the world number one, Alcaraz, on uh, court oh. number one. So look uh, at one o'clock. So really looking so forward to that. Strongest criticism I've had in tennis commentary in the last uh, the last couple of years is because I say Alcaraz, uh, and people right. say, well, "Why are you saying?" As I used to say, Jimenez. I didn't say Garcia, you know, but um, but I go because it's what he wants to be called. People say he was asked, "What? Well, how do you like it to be pronounced?" And he said, Alcaraz. So you've got to do that today now, otherwise you sound like a fool. I'm going to check with our tennis correspondent, Russell Fuller, who is impeccable on his pronunciations, and I'm going with what he says. Well, you've changed, Ian. You Maybe. used to be a man of your own opinion. Anyway, right, <laughs> I'll do Cam Norrie later on, so I pronounced Norrie. Yeah, you see, you see where opinions yeah, get exactly. you. <laughs> right, anyway, goodbye for now. We'll reconvene next week. I will still be here at Wimbledon. Ian will be at the Scottish Open with Eddie and his mini-mini driver. And uh, there we go. Time for you to go to sleep now. Cares and worries of the world drift away, carried out over the sea. All that's left is the sound of your breathing, like waves on the shore. Good night, Susan. Who's Susan? And that completes this edition of The Chipping Forecast. Wishing you a safe and pleasant night. Holding pocket.